Hello and welcome to another episode of the Boston Celtics Reddit Podcast. Jackson, aka Rickman Lives, and I are back to discuss the 92-87 defensive slugfest Game 5 victory over the Milwaukee Bucks. We'll also review some of our hot takes from before Game 5 and see how on or off the money we were. Off, A little later. <laughs> A little later. Joe, a.k.a. No Scrotes McFly, will join us to look ahead at Game 6 with some precise analysis and, of course, some spicy, meaty hot takes. But first, Jackson, Game 5, a low-scoring thriller. Certainly was. I mean, the, the story of the game was Marcus Smart coming back. The, the All of the pregame highlights, packages, or hype videos that we, we saw, if you're watching the um, the CBS Boston uh telecast was all about Marcus yeah. Smart and his comeback there and it was so 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 good to have him back I mean it was a noticeable difference as soon as he came on the court he got that massive reception everyone knew he was coming on and everyone was yeah, up man. for it and I mean it was just it, it was probably one of the most posted highlights in recent history on on um, the Reddit uh, on the Boston Celtics Reddit when um, he got that steal I think within about 30 seconds of coming on and I think maybe two plays yeah. later the um, stuffing an alley-oop which we could have used a couple of times this series so far. So he's absolutely <laughs> making himself um, felt already. I mean, it, it's, it was a game kind of uh, would encapsulate smart, I guess. It was gritty. It was not sexy. It was all about hustle plays. It was all about grinding it out. I mean, that highlight that got shown a lot where he, he takes the ball off Giannis, dives on it with his bad hand, by the way. Kicks it out to Rogier. Rogier then has a, basically an open three, and you could just feel that the audio, the that garden was about to explode. And even when that missed, Horford came back in, grabbed it, and went for a big dunk. So it was two moments there to really just for the game to just to blow up. And both of them got missed. And I think Milwaukee then went down the other end. Then they missed their shot. So it just had it, it had Marcus Smart's DNA all over it with plays like that, don't you think? Yeah, you could feel the anticipation from the Garden crowd, literally on the other side of the planet. Um, if, if Rozier had made that shot after the, like you said, Marcus Smart comes in, 30 seconds late, he dives, bad hand first onto the floor for that steal, um, and gets it off to Rozier. If he'd made that shot, um, like the entire New England area may have imploded. Who knows? It was The energy was insane. Yeah. But yeah, uh, diving on the floor and just immediately with like smart hustle plays, the steals, assists. Uh, he got an and one like fairly early in, in his uh, first sort of tenure back on the court. Um, and just his defense on, you mentioned the Giannis uh, oop block, as well as his defense on Chris Middleton was just crazy. I mean, it didn't stop Middleton making just insanely contested shots um, like throughout the game. So from when Smart checked in till the end of the first quarter, the Bucks only scored two points. Um, which hopefully is a luxury we'll get used to again now that Marcus Smart is back. Um, and that two points, it was scored by Chris Middleton, which was an insanely contested shot over Marcus Smart's outstretched hand. But Marcus Smart, nine points, five rebounds, four assists, three blocks, and a steal, and somehow five turnovers and two mm. for seven from the field. It's such a Marcus Smart game. Like, you, the game ended and you're like, oh, like, Marcus Smart, he had his fingerprints all over that. That was amazing. Yeah. That was, a, a you know, a Marcus Smart career game. And then you look at his, like, turnover and field goal percentage stats and you're like, of course, of course. Yeah. It's such a classic Smart game. I barely noticed the missed, the missed shots, to be perfectly honest. I think it was only, like, yeah, one that, I, that was one of those typical maligned you know, just hoist it up and hope for the best shots yeah. that went in. But I mean, I didn't, in his presence, obviously it was just so good to have him back. I think we were all like, you know, just looking at the positives more than anything else. But yeah, two, didn't feel like a two for seven 
um, shooting night. Didn't feel like he had more turnovers than assists. The one, probably, if you had to pick a player of the game, it would probably be that, again, he goes to the ground. I think Della Vadova was was near him as well, too. And it was him and another Bucks player, two Bucks players, rather, scrapping for it just right underneath our basket. And then he just manages out of everyone to come in and just, like, just shovel the ball out to Al Horford, who's underneath, who dunks it. Then that was more or less, I think, the dagger play. So, again, yeah. he comes off the bench, makes plays immediately, and, you know, if you had to nominate a play that there was the sealer, it was that it was that, that hustle assist that he got for Horford there too. So, I mean, it, Smart was the story of the game, and he his fingerprints are all over it. So you've, you've got to be optimistic that that kind of hustle and that kind of energy that he brings... And he didn't play a lot of minutes too. I noticed he was he was kept out of the game for you know stretches there. And we didn't. I don't think we necessarily missed him. But when he was on the court, you absolutely noticed. So hopefully he can p- play more. His input can his Im- impact can be similar. We always like his shooting to increase as well too. Um, but yeah, if he can take just you know some of that energy or some of that effort and some of those plays that he brought in, into game five into game six, then we should feel fairly fairly confident. Yeah, I think so too. Um, like we've heard this time and time again about Marcus Smart, but like sometimes his effect is unquantif- unquantifiable. Mm. Uh, like it's not necessarily a statistical effect that makes the most difference. There was some point where, you know, inevitably, like they say, it's a game of runs, and the Bucks went on their run uh, at some point in the third quarter, uh, and then Marcus Smart checked back in, and we went back up by eleven within like a yeah. few minutes. It was like seven. Um, it was a seventeen to five run or something like that too. Yeah, when we were looking really comfortable, and yeah, he just comes straight back in, and it's just you know you just you just feel safe when he's on the court, don't you? Yeah. Uh, one thing, uh, Tommy's nickname for Smart, Adrenaline, <laughs> uh, just made me think like if there's a chapter in this like Celtics book, maybe it's called when. When old people try to be cool, yeah, uh, and <laughs> and he just like slotted this out, and I'm like, what? Uh, are we just gonna give everyone like literal nicknames now? Yeah. Like, if Marcus Smart is adrenaline, like, is Rogier just called like Speed, and Greg <laughs> Monroe is called Tall? Like, where does it end? I, I don't know. I think he needs to be a little bit more creative there. But yeah, you could, um, you just, someone's gonna have the name to so, so give uh, give Baines testosterone just <laughs> just for size yeah, right? and manliness <laughs> in general. Yeah, ad- adrenaline. I don't know if it fits well. I've been playing the new God of War game quite a lot, so I'm. I'm Deep into like the Norse mythology uh, realm at the moment, and maybe Adren sounds kind of Nor- <laughs> Nor- nice. Nor- Norse-ish, I guess you could say. So you could put that to it, but no, I think uh, I think Cobra is the uh, the uh, the the agreed or the common uh, nickname for Marcus. So um, yeah, I'm happy Someone with that. Someone needs one. to tell Tommy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I'm happy for him to keep throwing him out there. Some, something's gonna stick. Someone who probably does need a nickname, though, I'd say, is Semi Ojale. Unfortunately, Joe's not with us at the moment, but I mean, I'm sure later on when he does come in, he will be reminding you that he did say Semi would have a big game, particularly in terms of minutes and in terms of performance as well. He was outstanding guarding Giannis. Like, he was, I felt like Giannis was almost invisible that game when Semi was on him. He did, took, I think, 10 field goals all game, which it was nowhere near, it was by far and away his lowest attempts of the series so far. So mm-hmm. as much as Smart was the story, and as much as Smart probably gets all of the headlines here, I mean, big, big shout out to Sammy Ojale because, I mean, that was his chance to really, you know, prove his worth and really give some impact, uh, not just on this game, but on the series in general. And, I mean, he took that chance with both hands. It was a fantastic performance. Yeah, the combat muscles were on show <laughs> right from the get-go. And uh, I think it was Joe. And, like, for all the listeners out there, like you mentioned, like, that was, this was one of Joe's hot takes and he was right, like, for the listeners out there, Joe has been letting us know how right he was about that basically since the end of the first quarter, um, like via our little like chat group that we're in. 
he was right, and, and Joe's very happy about that, uh, understandably. Uh, it, it was awesome to see Shemi. It was obviously his first playoff start and one of his first starts in his NBA career. Like he got a few starts, I think, in the final game of the season Garbage against Brooklyn. Time of the regular season, few, yeah. yeah, yeah, like a few other times due to injuries. Um, but for the most part, he's been like a weapon off the bench, uh, and it was immediately effective. And it also spaces the floor a little bit because, yeah, certainly in college, uh, Shemi Ojale was uh, a great uh, shooter. Um, like not um, characteristically from the outside, but he, d- he has shown that range in the past. And he hit an early three. I think he missed his first attempt, but then got one uh, on his second attempt, which just, you know, said to the Bucks defense, all right, like you have to get out and guard this guy. He is he is a threat from out there, as opposed to Aaron Baines. Um, yeah. So that was really powerful on the offensive end as well as the defensive end. Uh, and the defensive rotations from the Celtics with Shemi Ojale out there were amazing. They were switching everything. Uh, and the rotations as the Bucks swung the ball were were amazing, and you know just as it looked like maybe a Bucks player was going to get an open three, uh, the rotations just happened perfectly, and, and with such fluidity, and everyone got out there and got their man or covered um, in terms of backup or help defense uh, very very well. So that was really good to see, and hopefully we get more of that heading into Game Six from Ojale. Yeah, they closed out really well. There were a couple times where where I thought they had an open three and like whoever the last man was just got there right in time and, and, and shut a lot of that down. So um yeah, I think it was very reflective of the Bucks field goal, you know, percentage for that game. Thirty six point eight percent I think it was, that they ended up shooting. And I think, you know, again, not just smart the entire defensive rotations and the defensive effort from everyone on the home court was um was outstanding and um yeah, we need more of that for game six, please. Please, yes, <laughs> that'd be great. And another guy, uh, you know, we're ten minutes into this podcast now. Al Horford, Al, yeah, average Al, mother freaking Horford, twenty-two points, fourteen rebounds, three assists, two blocks, uh, and just a ridiculous amount of winning plays on both ends. Uh, we talked about unquantifiable effects on the team. Winning plays, sometimes it's referred to. Um, Al Horford was everywhere in this game and has been really all series. Um, He's such a facilitator. Uh, he's he makes such a difference for our squad, both offensively and defensively. Um, and his stat line somewhat reflects that. Like he obviously led the team in in points and rebounds. But there's just so much more to his game that I wish could be captured for the rest of the NBA like universe to see. Because he gets a lot of criticism for his you know max contract and not not always putting up you know the sort of stats that you would associate with such a contract, but. Uh, you know, if this game, if you if you watched it from you know beginning to end, like you would have seen, had Horford, you know, absolutely written all over it. He was incredible again tonight. Or yeah, last night, rather, it, it speaks volumes of just the the guy that he is and the game that he plays. You know that he's a you know he's a, a more or less a perennial all star on a max contract. Yet he just no one. Yeah, like you said, ten minutes in, we hadn't even mentioned him, and he was the leading scorer of the game. You know, and he, he had so much. He gives so much to the Celtics just in terms of you know the calmness, his demeanor that he brings down there. His three point shot is outstanding. I think it's going in every time it gets kicked out to him, and he's open. He just loves that that up fake as well too. So there's so much. There's so many aspects to his game that you're right. That don't show up on the box. That don't show up on the box score rather. And um, yeah, so. For him to play big in games like this, it, it's no, there's it no coincidence that we ended up getting this win in a pretty scrappy affair. So yeah, a no, big shout out to Al Horford. Yeah, he's totally the dad of the team. Like that's not mm. my original thought. Like people have said that before, but he's just this like elder statesman of hoops, like a like a classic hoopsman, and he's just out there like playing a, I don't know, I guess like a bit of an old man game. Like he's not blowing you away with his speed or athleticism, but he's always in the right place at the right time and and making the winning play. And, you know, credit that assist to Marcus Smart when he came out of that scuffle on the 
on the floor and, and got the pass out to Horford, but he was right there waiting for that, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, just sort of encompasses the the Marcus Smart, Al Horford connection, you know, aside from that play off the, off the floor that we just referred to. The pick and roll play, which Joe has mentioned, you know, sort of time and time again uh, with regards to maybe favoring Marcus Smart over Terry Rogier uh, next year. Mm. Uh, that was on display in, in full uh, during Game 5, and th- that connection, it never left them. You know, as soon as Marcus Smart came back in, um, any opportunity they had to run that pick-and-roll play, uh, they ran it like with great success throughout the whole game. So that was amazing to see too, and not something that the Bucks had had to put up with up until this point. Yeah, it's, it's again, not to divert it back to Marcus Smart, but it feels like, you know, with his with his injection into the series, it's like they, hold, they have to like kind of rethink how they approach defense-wise, as well as their offensive game. Um, but yeah, I mean, that alley-oop that he, that he threw up to Horford, I think it was in the third or the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen that, you know, many, many times this season, and you almost forgot that it wasn't part of our repertoire while he was out. But as soon as he comes back in, and they're at least, you know, attempting it and making it, um, it makes a, a world of difference too. So yeah, I, I feel a lot better about our offense with him back in there. You know, you can still criticize his shot selection. You can still criticize his overall, you know, uh, contribution in terms of points. But um, I mean, you just have to... Like Brad said it in his post-game show, you know, a post-game press conference, you know, ignore the box score. Just like, you know, just watch what he's doing there. And that, that applies to Smart, I think, as much as, as it does to Horford. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, amazing game. Uh, we, we came out really strong, uh, which we've been doing, but we, we kept that momentum up. And part of that, again, uh, was due to Marcus Smart just coming in at a certain point and, and continuing on that momentum that we started with. Um, certainly uh, a, a tense game from a fan perspective, I think, particularly mm-hmm. when the Bucks made their run in the third quarter. Uh, but the, the people in the game thread, the, the Reddit users out there listening, much calmer than the previous game. There was a lot of, during the last game, a lot of uh, game four, that is, a lot of dread, a lot of de- like defeatism um, coming from users in there about, oh, series is over, that's it, like we're going home, like there's, there's no way we're going to beat this team. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a lot more positivity obviously from the team themselves, but from the fans uh, within the game thread as well, which is good to see because uh, for me, you know, I watch these games alone. Like my wife is not a Hoops fan. Uh, I'm on holidays at the moment. All my, my Hoops friends are at work. Um, and to be there in the game thread with the other fans and be uplifted by their positivity, uh, maybe that doesn't mean a lot to some people, but it certainly means a lot to me. That was really good to see. A couple more points before we move on to review our hot takes from the predictions episode uh, prior to this one. Jalen Brown uh, obviously didn't have quite the game um, that he had in the last game. He's had a couple of scoring uh, outbursts in this series. Uh, I, I don't have his stats in front of me, but I think he put up something along the lines of 11 points and you know a, a, and change. Mm-hmm. Our defensive rating with Jalen Brown off the court, 105.1. Jalen Brown on the court, the defensive rating goes all the way down to 83.2. Um, so it cannot be overstated, the defensive effect... You know, you look back to last year, Avery Bradley obviously played um, a similar role at the two-guard defensively for us, and a lot of people thought, myself included, when we shipped him off for Marcus Morris, that defensive um, force at the two-guard position, you know, beyond the perimeter, uh, was going out the door along with Avery Bradley. But Jalen Brown is absolutely fulfilling that role in just his second year, no less, um, and he's capable of these scoring outbursts as well. So that was really good to see, and I I was surprised to see not noticing a big game from Jalen Brown, that there was such a huge difference in our defensive rating between him being on the court and off the court. 
Yeah, it's like if he doesn't put up, you know, you know, twenty plus, it's like people kind of disregard that his, you know, his input into the game because he's like he's yeah. he can hit the he can hit the big shots. You know, obviously the Jazz one comes to mind more than anything else. But you know, he and he is capable of like the spectacular dunk and and you know plays like that absolutely. But um, yeah, if he doesn't have a big scoring game, you know, that's by no means you know def- uh, suggests that he had a bad game. I think there was he, there was one block that he got. I can't remember who it was on, but um, yeah, a really emphatic block there that was you know speaks volumes to like his defensive awareness as well too I mean just yeah the defensive rating with him on the court versus him off the court is you know it's it's, it's night and day so um, yeah Jalen Brown getting it done yeah totally just becoming more and more of a well-rounded player uh, another well-rounded player another J for our team uh, Jason Tatum uh, I've got his stats right here eight points three rebounds and four assists and it's the four assists that I wanted to talk about all of them happened in the first half I believe and there are a couple of plays in the pick and roll with Al Horford. He had one in the last game as well, this like amazing bounce pass uh, to get Al Horford a dunk. And he had a couple more in this game as well as a drive and dish out to Morris for an open three, which he made. Um, and that's a part of game that we've only sort of had the luxury of witnessing, um, you know, within the final quadrant of the season in this early postseason. That's really good to see. And if he can continue to develop that part of his game, obviously the scoring and the rebounding is there. Um We can expect big things from Tatum. Another thing very quickly before we move on to review our hot takes from last episode. Bit of a scuffle there uh, between Terry Rozier and... Is it Drew Bledsoe? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's Drew. I've looked it up and I can confirm his name is Drew Bledsoe, yes. Yeah, played for the Patriots. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was pretty interesting. Um, Sort of things uh, coming to a boiling point there, reaching the the precipice of of that um, controversy throughout the season. That was pretty satisfying to see. And uh, I think it was Mike Gorman who was like, this is a long time coming. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just good to see how, how Terry Rogier came out of that scuffle. But, um, did you have any thoughts? Jackson on the on the Rogier the Bledsoe situation yeah. and how it sort of came to a boiling point there. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely be accused of being a Celtics homer here in my analysis of this, but <laughs> I it, it sure. felt to me like Terry wasn't even bothered that much. I mean, yeah, he gets bumped, he's gonna bump him back, and he gets a bigger bump, so he's gonna like spin into him and take him out. But that felt to me like Bledsoe was trying to get his frustration out and put it onto you know. Rogier, who he's obviously inevitably been linked with, probably linked with him for the rest of his career now, regardless of you know what directions they go off him after he you know said that he didn't know who he was. But yeah, you felt like that was inevitable, gonna sh- inevitably gonna happen sooner or later. Um, but to me, uh, you know, Rogier just didn't even look you know that bothered about it. It's kind of like you know he was just almost like shrugging off you know an annoying little brother yeah. who just keeps you know tugging on your shirt. It's like just piss off, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And yeah, that was reflective that you know Bledsoe got the uh, got the flagrant and Terry only got the uh, the tech. And I felt like you know. You, when there's a couple like that happens, you feel like you have to give it a foul to, to both of them just for it to appear a bit more balanced. But I mean, as far as I'm concerned, the only malice and the only one really looking for any kind of, you know, biff, as we say in Australia, um, in that play was, was Bledsoe. And I mean, yeah, it, it was it was satisfying to see, but I mean, it was even more satisfying to see, you know, Roger not particularly, you know, bothered or, you know, even if he got up for it and really got in his face and really got fiery, everyone would respond to that too. But like me personally, I just see him, you know, kind of more or less deal with it, shrug it off, get on with the game. That was more encouraging for me. Yeah, and Terry hit that huge three, like directly after that, that altercation. Yeah, he did too. I was kind of too. sitting there thinking... You know, uh, I thought that uh, since that controversy had started, we talked about this last episode, like Terry Rogier has not really been involved in any sort of postseason controversy where the, where the narrative sort of uh, microscope is, is much more like honed into individuals mm. whereas where um, as opposed to the regular season. Um, but certainly after game one and perhaps game two, 
Terry's been a little bit quieter and I had wondered whether or not it had been as a result of that sort of Bledsoe-related controversy. And right after this, this scuffle, he comes out and he hits that massive three um, and just shows us you know, what he's capable of in terms of his res- response to a situation like that. Mm. That was really good to see. Now, uh, look, it was a great game. Uh, a little tense, like I said, but we got the win. Uh, not the prettiest game scoring-wise. Like you said, Jackson, we held the Bucks to 36.8% from the field. We got the win. We're up 3-2. We're going to Milwaukee um, with the option or the opportunity rather to, to put this thing away for good and move on to Philly. Um, before we get to Joe, before we get to our predictions for game six, uh, if you had listened to the previous episode, you would know that we made some hot takes heading into game five. Uh, varying degrees of outlandishness, of ridiculousness uh, and heat as far as hot, way, hot takes are concerned. Now, Jackson... You made some spicy takes, or mm. takes in uh, you know a varying degree of spiciness. I'm gonna open you up with your first uh, hot take, or warm take, or tepid take. I think we called it, and we'll go from there. So, Eric Bledsoe to get booed and have a bad game. Uh, that's a tick for you. You got that one right. He sucked, uh, and the crowd knew it, and uh, and they expressed that uh, sentiment. Yeah, I, I didn't think the crowd gave him as much shit as I thought they would. The boo is, the booing was obviously. Uh, there, but I mean, he's just been consistently, you know, average this this whole season, even uh, this whole series rather. I mean, even like you know the the better games that he had that he's had, you know, in Milwaukee, he hasn't really yeah. been the, the standout performer. And you know, it, it, it he wasn't. I don't think he was particularly bad to the standards that he set himself in the series so far. But he wasn't great either. And I think like we seem to have the overwhelming advantage at the point, despite Terry Rozier being, you know guard number three in the in like a fully healthy Celtics rotation there so I mean yeah no surprise that he had a bad game no surprise that the crowd booed him so uh, yeah I'll take that I'll take that as a as a, a winning take winning a winning take, take. Yeah. absolutely <laughs> uh now uh, like you mentioned the booze I don't think he's worth the booze like, no you know it's a it's a storied franchise uh the Boston Celtics and they've seen it all the, the fan base over the years and Drew Bledsoe, Eric Bledsoe, like whatever his name is, he's just not worth the, the hassle for the Celtics crowd. They've got they've got bigger and better things to worry about. Uh, your second take, Middleton, uh, more important to stop than Giannis. Thoughts? Well, we did what I hoped we would do, and that was limit, well, reduce Middleton's field goal percentage because he was shooting sixty point six through four games. That dropped down to below fifty percent, I believe it was, yeah. um, and it, it more or less worked in the in the way that I thought it would but again it, it, it might sound you know silly to say this but it turns out stopping Giannis was more important than stopping Middleton despite what I thought because Sammy did such a great number on him and limited Giannis's production you felt like the burden kind of switched more out to guys like Middleton and I think like they knew what he was capable of given the series he was having so far I think like yeah you felt like the Bucks probably had a bit more confidence in him shouldering the burden once Giannis was kind of taken out of it a bit by uh, by Sammy Ojale. But um, yeah, look, he, he still had a, a, a pretty decent game. You know, let's be honest. He was still hitting, you know, shots right at the end, right when we thought it was it was done, just to just to extend it that little bit longer. So look, the plan, I think, is still probably to limit the both of them, obviously. Giannis is the one who is the most key to them. But I think I stand by my I stand by my position to begin with that, you know, if 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 Giannis is going to get whatever he wants, then you just kind of have to live with it and you got to just, you know, defend him best you can but if we can take Middleton out and you can reduce that secondary option then that's going to be huge yeah absolutely uh your hotter take this is your your one hot take leading into game five (laughs) 
Career night for a Celtics player. Two players go for 30 each. Uh, Did anyone go for 30? No, nah, no one was even... <laughs> I think Orford was the closest to it. I mean, I, I was I was hoping yeah. Morris would have a big game because he's kind of been missing a little bit. I think he only got 10 points, so he didn't Very have a great streaky. game. Yeah, I guess if you want to get technical, you could say it was a career game for Semi because he was just... He was so impactful when it came to Giannis. But uh, no, I... Uh, the, the hotter these takes get, the uh, the further away from... Um, the further away I was from them. So yeah, that's a no. Yeah. That's what makes them so spicy. Exactly, yeah. That's what makes them so interesting. Now, your super hot take, your thermonuclear take, as you put it, that we'd lose game five, but then win six and seven. Yeah. Here we are after a sweet, sweet game five victory. How do you feel about I'm this so, uh, thermonuclear take? So utterly relieved that it wasn't true because, I mean, <laughs> too, man. I would have I would have, I would have, uh, I would have milked it for all it was worth for as long yeah. as I could get it because it's recorded <laughs> and it's out there. And I, if, if we yeah. did end up dropping game five, winning game six, winning game seven, I mean, I would, yeah, I would be uh, insufferable. But uh, no, I mean, obviously, <laughs> things are so much sweeter when you have to go through a lot of adversity and you think it's not going to happen. You think it's not going to happen. That does happen. You know, th- that, that rush, that euphoria you get is, you know, it, it's unquantified you know what it does and what it makes you feel like but let's be honest if you could just if you could nominate a way of just winning a game every time you'd want to win by 30 points you want every game to be a cakewalk and this was hardly a cakewalk but I felt even though it was tense and even with like a 12 13 point lead or you know thereabouts for most of the game this didn't feel like we were that comfortable the whole way so it really wasn't until the last I think like 30 seconds when we got up to about six or seven ahead that I really started to feel comfortable with it so uh yeah got that one wrong uh I still maintain we will win game seven if it gets to game seven of course um but yeah no much quite relieved that it didn't come to that yeah man me too now Look, before we move on to Joe, before we give Joe a call and uh, ask him about his hot takes and predictions leading into Game 6, Jackson, give us 30 seconds or so on your Game 6 predictions and hot takes. All right, so my, my prediction or hot take, if you want to uh, call it that, is um, I think we've got to run with the same game plan uh, in Milwaukee. They are going to be better as they, have, as they were in uh, Games 3 and Game 4. I expect us to not necessarily be as poor as we were in game three in particular or you know get find ourselves in a 20 point hole like we did in game four as well but i expect with smart back in i expect with you know the way that semi performed on on Giannis, uh just before I expect us to be in the hunt a little bit more I think we're going to be chasing the game for the most part or thereabouts level level with them for most of the way I think we need a big game from Horford again and if Horford can't can't deliver the big game, then it's got to be Brown or Tatum and Morris as well, really. I mean, I am leaving Rozier off this. Obviously, any player having a big scoring night or a big impact in any capacity would be ideal. But I'm going to say Horford, Brown, Tatum and Morris, one or all or some of those guys have got to have big games. And I think if we can do that, I think we can put this thing to bed. I am going to put on my Homer hat here and I am going to say the Celtics are going to buck the trend, pun intended. And win <laughs> in Milwaukee, ninety-nine to one hundred and two, and then we can get ready for the Sixers. I love it. A reasonable take there. Uh, not the spiciest take we've heard, uh, but we'll get there. It's only early in the show. The the, the takes will get spicier, um, and a, a nice little pun there to, to hammer it home. So I love it. Look, I hope you're right. I hope we can end this series. Uh, there is going to be a Celtics game on Sunday. Uh, our time, so it must be Saturday USA time. Yeah. Whether or not that's Game Seven of this series or Game One of the Philly series um, is yet to be determined. Uh, Jackson, thanks very much for your time. We're going to let you go, and we're going to give Joe a call uh, to discuss everything Game Six. Cheers, guys. Thank you. All right, welcome back. We've got Joe on the line for a look ahead to Game Six, but first, a quick review at our hot takes from Game Five. Joe. 
Uh, hey, thanks, Ben. First of all, first of all, I just want to give a shout out to Ben. Ben's pulling double duty today. He's um, ah, no worries. He's doing multiple podcasts in one day. He's he's just he's just trying to deliver quality content for Celtics fans. Ben, I'm just happy to sit around talking Celtics. Ben, you can't see this internet, but Ben, I salute you. I salute you. <laughs> thanks, buddy. <clears throat> um, so yeah, quickly onto the takes. So I think from memory, um, and I'll try and remember my bad takes as well as my good ones. Um, I think my first take last week was actually about the game four. Um, so it doesn't really qualify. I think it was about how the Bucks probably more let their foot off the gas more than we made adjustments. Um, not yeah. really too much to add to that. The second one I think I had is that we're going to go six games. And I'm still sticking with that. I think... Um, I don't have, Okay. I, I think about basketball in like terms of emotional dynamics quite a lot. Okay. Okay. Ben, did you ever feel like that result was in doubt? Even when it like got cut to four? Yes. You did? Yeah, I did. Yeah. But I, you, you say you speak of emotional relations to, to basketball. I, I'm an emotional wreck during these <laughs> games. And as soon as there's any sliver of, of doubt um, that things look like they're not going our way, I start to develop narratives and, and things in my mind that um, the NBA powers that be are constructing a narrative that doesn't favor us. And I just lose it. So maybe I'm not the best uh, sort of like barometer for reality in that situation. But but anyway, continue. No, no, that's all right. We're all different. I just, I just, <laughs> some games you just, you just, know that elite's safe or you know and in my heart Ben I just never really felt threatened in that game it's been a weird okay. series like that you know and that I'm totally unsurprised that the Bucks came back and tied us 2-2 but equally so I was I felt quite calm about it um and I, I don't I, I feel really calm I'm pretty sure we're gonna win game six I think um I think we've made the necessary adjustments particularly offensively um and also has been what what are you drinking there ben i've got a uh Rashes pilsner nice shout out to Rashes. <laughs> refreshing mm. fosters apparently is no, no longer australian for beer <laughs> <laughs> you won't find it on these uh or in these fair shores <laughs> apparently not apparently not <laughs> ig side note um i have a buddy who um <laughs> He was over in Australia recently, and he and I came back and went around to his house. And he's like, "Oh man, you gotta wait. You'll love it. You'll see what I've got." And so he goes up into his cupboard and he pulls down he pulls down a six pack of Forex, and he's like, "Oh, me and my mates, we're gonna watch the State of O, and we're gonna be <laughs> drinking Forex." So for American fans, State of Origin is this rugby league thing where um where guys play uh, in the states that they are from originally. And it's actually a really big deal in New Zealand as well. Like, a, it's a huge deal in New Zealand too. So, anyway. Um, yeah, look, as, a, as a New South Welshman, I need to say that 4X is a uh, just a, a <laughs> shitty beer, a shitty Queensland beer. Don't don't try it. And uh, if you do end up with it, you shouldn't be proud of yourself. What's What, Sorry, what does they say about VB? Why is it, you know, this could go off the rise, but why, is, why are the Blues sponsored by VB? Uh, it's uh, just part of an amicable relationship between the, the two fair estates, <laughs> oh, right. Victoria and New South Wales. We, we, we could probably do a whole side podcast. Maybe in the off season, we can go into the uh, the ins and outs of the uh, Aussie beer slash state relationship. But uh, just avoid forex if you can, people. <laughs> okay, noted. But I'll probably still be having some at Origin One. So. <laughs> um, anyway. Where were we? We were talking about uh, how... Boston Celtics? Sorry. We were, we were talking about the Celtics, but we were also <laughs> talking about how we didn't feel the, the, 
the result was in doubt. Um, mm. Yeah, I just felt I just felt really confident, and I still feel really confident about this team. Um, now, my second hot take, no, third third hot take. We're getting pretty warm here. I feel pretty good about this one, Ben. And if you can insert some audio, just just reiterating that I said that uh, I thought this was the series of Semi Ojale, and that he was going to play play more than twenty minutes in uh, in in game in game five. I'd love it if you could do that. Uh, but failing that, we've removed all evidence of that. Oh, yeah. It no longer exists I'll, on the internet. I'll just I'll just remind <laughs> everybody. You heard it here first. Um, I I would expect to see that again. I would definitely expect to see that again. And I'm pretty. I God, it feels good to be right. You know, because you're wrong so yeah, much. Eh, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, Shami Oshley takes the uh, unexpected hero award coming out of Game Five, and um, yeah, he, he that's, looked, a, that's a that's a fair and reasonable take heading into Game Six. He looked to me like I just he he's just. I love it when he gets down in that stance, man. He has quick feet. He has quick feet, and and yeah, those combat muscles. Combat muscles. He really can guard one through five, eh? Um, I think against against the Bucks, um, if we have him, if we have him, Smart, Horford, Tatum, Rozier, like I, I think defensively, I really like that against the Bucks because there's just no one that Middleton can really hurt, you know, like. Because Middleton has been bringing the pain, eh? and Parker as well too, when they've been switched on to our smalls. Um, yep, so I was feeling pretty good about Ojale. Now, like I think my other two takes were actually more to do with like um, stuff that might happen in Game Six. I think I said Marcus Smart was going to start in Game Six. Not feeling that great about that take. <laughs> I think that might have yeah. been that might have been in the heat of the moment. I. Um, <laughs> I, I caught a whiff of that um, that reheated lasagna and I went a little crazy, um, but I'm stuck with it. I'm stuck with it, aren't I? I've got to say, I think Marcus Smart's going to start Game Six. Very well, look, we had the Ojale surprise going into Game Five. You were right about that, so uh, who knows? We'll I, I didn't. I didn't exactly call Ojale starting Game Five, though, <laughs> did I? I didn't have that. I wasn't that bold. Um, very interesting, though, that Tatum was on the bench to close, and I'm sure you guys covered that. Now, um, for the benefit of uh, of me, but probably not the other listeners, what was uh, what were your and Jackson's thoughts on um, on Tatum sitting on Tatum sitting to close, if any? Uh, it's, it's great they actually bring that up because we we didn't touch on that at all. We we chose to oh, highlight the uh, glad I did. So let's uh, let's let's rehash it now. Well, we talked about how good Tatum's passing was. Um, yeah, earlier in the game, he had four assists going into halftime, and that um, bounce really pass to Horford on the pick play. and roll, yeah. Yeah, and that drive and dish out to Mook Morris as well for the open three. Right. Um, but we didn't really talk that much about him sitting uh, towards the end. Uh, look, he'd been a little bit cold throughout the game, only eight points, and his usage wasn't particularly high at that point. And really, it was about putting out the best defensive lineup possible. And, you know, Brad Stevens made the call that Tatum wasn't part of that. Maybe it has to do with rookie decision-making. But then again, you've got Shemi Ojale out there as well, so... What what were your thoughts on Stevens' thinking behind keeping uh, Tatum on the bench? I disagree with his thinking, honestly. Oh yeah, yeah. You need the long boy out there. Um, over Rozier, yeah. Look, I I was I've been watching a little bit again, and I do not like it one bit. If Middleton gets switched on to Rozier, I Rozier yeah. cannot guard Middleton. I mean, can anyone guard Middleton? But like Rozier, Rozier's he's a, he's six two. Like he's a normal sized human being. Um, and I do not like him being on him, and I like Smart a lot better as a point guard. Rozier is a 
Rosier's a great shooter. Rosier has a role on this team and, and will close in a lot of a lot of circumstances. Bucks are really big. I don't yeah, I'd prefer I'd prefer Smart and um and Ojale and Tatum. Smart Ojale, Tatum Brown Horford, that's who I probably would prefer to close with. I think Brad Stevens can be a little bit um uh what's the right word? I'll just cut out my thinking here. Um Brad Stevens can be a bit touch and go when it comes to sitting guys at certain moments in the game, particularly in the closing moments. If they do something, and I, I didn't notice anything in particular that Tatum might have no, done to, not at all. to annoy Brad Stevens, but he may well have you know, missed a defensive assignment maybe on several occasions. Again, didn't notice anything, but he must have done something, I, I would presume, for Brad Stevens to sit him in that situation, whereas in, in most previous games, you know, Tatum has played in those pivotal moments to close games, so... Yeah, no, it's a good take though. I'm not really sure why that happened, and um, well, I, it'll be interesting to see if he uh, if he goes the same way in Game Six. Here's the thing, Marcus Smart coming back. Like, I think if you were to say if Brad Stevens was a Cel- Brad Stevens the Celtics fan, right? <laughs> I'm just gonna assume he is a Celtics fan. <laughs> I like to think he was. <laughs> who's his favorite player? Who's who's Brad Stevens's favorite player? It's got to be Smart, right? It's Smart. It's a hundred percent Smart. So he makes all the right decisions. He makes all the right decisions. He misses the occasional shot. He misses, I don't know, seven out of every ten shots, but that's okay. We forgive him. He, he Brad Stevens loves Smart, and he's going to find a way to put him on the floor to close. This is going to be really interesting next year. We've got Brown, Horford, Tatum, Hayward, Irving, Smart. That's six dudes that, that's, that Stevens is going to want to put on the floor. And Smart's not going to lose out a lot, man. Like, one of those two young fellas is going to sit from time to time, so it'll be be real interesting. Um, I wonder how Tatum just feels about it, you know? Like, it would have come out of nowhere a little bit. And throw in Ojale too, who I think Stevens really likes Ojale. Like, And if Ojale starts knocking down... He doesn't even have to start knocking down shots. He has to start just taking them, to be honest. Like, just being a little more yeah. prepared to shoot. Um, he, he was so good. We, we touched on Ojale earlier, but... Um, like he took a couple of threes early in the game. He made the second one, which, mm. uh, as Tommy said on the call, like was huge for for that kid. I think yeah. his words were where like for him to make those shots and be as good as he is defensively. He made a really good cut to the basket as well that he got fouled on off a yep. Marcus yeah, Smart uh, near assist. But um, his decision making along with Marcus Smart is impeccable. Mm. Um, and if he can start to hit those three point shots down with more regularity and have as much of an effect on the offense in terms of space in the floor than he does on the defensive end, then um, he's going to be huge for us. Mm. And he may well be out there closing games as opposed to Brown or Tatum. So um, tough decisions to make. I'm a, I'm a believer and I do have a, I do have a take. I'm going to save, I'm, I'm going to save this for our um, upcoming takes. I have an Ojale take coming up. All right. Uh, well, let's get there in a second. I yeah. want to quickly um, fact check my own silly takes uh, because we haven't done that yet. And I did make them. Uh, I'll skip through the tepid takes about Rogier being actually there. There is one that I need to call myself on. One of them quickly was that Rogier would be better than he was in the previous game. Not very much of a hot take, hence the, the tepidness of the take. Um, he went three for twelve in game four. He went four for ten with sixteen points in game five. Slightly better. The one take I did make with some degree of confidence was that Greg Monroe was going to play more than five minutes and give us these are my words ten decent minutes. And a nice offensive showing, plus some quality offensive boards. He gave us none of that. He didn't get any minutes in the game. Yeah. I was like, uh, did he even play? Yeah, no, he didn't. <laughs> he did not play. So, terrible take. But uh, that's all right. We can't get them all right. Uh, that's Ojale. Warmer takes. That's that's Ojale right Sorry. there, right? You know, like Ojale just yeah. had his minutes. 
Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And probably all for the better. So, um, I don't know. In a way, I'm glad I wasn't right. Uh, Warmer takes Marcus Smart returns for game five. Tick. And I said, if Smart plays, we keep Middleton under 20 points. Now, that didn't happen. Uh, Middleton had 23 points, but he did, as Jackson called out earlier, go under 50% shooting for the first time in the series. He freaking uh, terrifies me, man. M- yeah. You know, Middleton, like, there was one position Smart defended. Smart defended him perfect, day. Eh? Perfect. Shifted his feet, hand in his face. Middleton's just money. Yeah, and it's all net. It's oh crazy. Oh, gosh. Um, and he's he's, he shows problem, no signs man. of... No signs of cooling down at all. So um, the the best we can do is just try and keep the ball out of his hands. But then sometimes that means the ball being in Giannis's hands, and you know you can't really win there either. And people say he had a, a bad game. He did have obviously a lesser offensive showing in Game Five, but he almost got a triple double. So it's like, what can you do? Man, I feel like Middleton hurts us more than Giannis, to be honest. Um, yeah, like it, it, Middleton's shots just are like backbreakers, eh? You know, like. Uh, and I think one of the things about Giannis is um, you can take things away from Giannis, you know, like, whereas Middleton's just offensively just complete. Particularly, like, if you've got if you've got Rozier switched on to Middleton or, or Larkin, but let's just, I'm just going to pick on Rozier. I think Rozier on, onto Middleton is just about as, as bad a matchup, if not worse than Giannis on any of our, any of our, bigs except for maybe Baines you know like I, I'll, I'd I'd take my chances of um, of Horford or to a lesser extent Brown and, and Tatum having a go at Giannis than, than anybody you know than, than Rozier having a go at Middleton right now Middleton's killing us man yeah, I completely agree, and it's just what you said earlier. Like, it's a surprise that Rogier is out there to close games, given like yeah, going to botch that defensive assignment. I 10 was surprised. I was surprised. I was. I feel like botching might be a hard, harsh call. It's just like Middleton's <laughs> well, like you need big, to block man. the shot. Middleton's you need huge. to block the shot for him to miss. Yeah. Like otherwise, as you said earlier, smart, perfect coverage, outstretched hand, did all but block the shot, did all but graze the ball as it left Middleton's hands, and it still was nothing but net. So, I don't know. On the plus side, all we've got to do is is silence him or do our best to do so for one more game and then we no longer have to see Middleton again. So um, yeah, we'll see how we go. I, I want to fast forward through the takes because you know if you're listening to this podcast, if you're a regular listener, you've heard them all already. I had one thermonuclear take that Jalen Brown would never show his tongue again. Uh, so far, I'm, I'm one for one on that take. He did not <laughs> pop out the tongue at any point as far as I can recall uh, during game five. That was really good to see. You know that was scary. Children are watching this game. We don't, we, no, we don't want to see that. No one wants to see that. Um, Jalen, hopefully, he continues that trend for the rest of his career. <laughs> Jalen, yeah. you hear? Did, I don't know when you start. Where you started work? Do they ever give the talk about career limiting behavior? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Jalen, don't engage in career limiting behavior. Let's just keep the. <laughs> let's just keep. I don't know what the scientific term for tongue is. I wish I knew it right then. I would love to have employed it. Let's keep whatever the scientific term is for tongue and whatever the scientific term is for your mouth. <laughs> Maybe that'll be the episode name. Uh, now, look, let's look ahead to game six. Uh, tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Sydney time. I think it's uh, 8 p.m. Boston time later today. Joe, what time is that kicking off for you in New yeah, Zealand see, land? Classic. Classic. That would be midday New Zealand time. Nice. Yeah. Perfect. Lunch, lunch break time. 
Now, uh, predictions for Game 6. I'm going to throw it to you, Joe. Um, we're going to start with your, your tepid and warm takes slash predictions, and we're going to work our way out from there. So what do you got for us? Well, in keeping with the microwave theme, I've got a couple of leftover takes from uh, from Game 5, really. To... Spicy. Yeah, well, first, first, first being that we'll win. Um, that is... So we got we got some slightly rancid takes. <laughs> um, we got dirty leftovers. The dirty leftovers. Yeah, um, this has been reheated twice. Um, I've also got that I think I think I had Rosier hitting a game winner in Game Six. I think that was one of my wild wild predictions. Hmm. Um, yep. I think I had Marcus Smart starting in Game Six. I've got to stick with it. <sighs> I've saddled myself with one there. You know, I'll take that out. Um, so, what do I see happening? How do I think we're going to win this game? I think we're going to win this game, and I think it's going to be relatively comfortable. I think defensively, Ojale is going to start again. I think defensively, with Smart um, back and Ojale playing a greater, greater role, I just think we are way better aligned. Um, there's just there's just no real weak spot for the Bucks to to exploit. I, I feel. Um, with with you know the six guys that I mentioned before, and and even Marcus Morris, you put Marcus Morris in the middle of the seats, seven dudes. We can roll out any of those seven dudes, and I really feel pretty good about all of our chances. Um, that the Bucks' lack of shooting, aside from Middleton, really hurts them. You know, because you can switch somebody else. You can you know Giannis might get a switch against someone who he might prefer to attack, like Brown, um, or even Smart, but. You know he's gonna be he's gonna be driving the lane and he's gonna be attacking. You know and he's got he's trying to attack the lane and there's just a lot less room. Just the, the Bucks' lack of shooting is just really hurting them. So I feel real real good about our chances here. I think it's gonna be a similar rotation. I think Ojale is gonna start again. Um, I think uh, I think Giannis is gonna be super aggressive, and it'll be really interesting to see. Um, I think that might I think he might take the match up with Ojale a little personally. I like that. I want them to do that. Um, I would love nothing more than for the Bucks to slow down and let the heads drop when things don't start going their way. Um, what else have I got? Well, tell me some of yours, because otherwise I'll just otherwise I'll just go in full soliloquy mode. <laughs> no, man, I'm enjoying it. I wanted to ask you about, um, like, how do you feel about the Bucks role players? Like, obviously, whenever they've got the Milwaukee crowd cheering them on. They are significantly better. Like there was a pretty drastic difference um, in how they performed in our house than compared to how they've been performing in Milwaukee. So you're predicting a comfortable win for the Celtics, but you know that's probably going to come along with a much better showing from guys like Snell and Bledsoe and even Thon Maker. Um, so like, how do you how do you see us getting that comfortable win with these guys? You know stepping up and, and being them, their home selves again, if you will. Look, the bottom line is we can only lose the series. The Bucks can't the, the Bucks can't beat us. We have to beat ourselves. It's as simple as that. Like uh I like when we've gone into our lulls, and I'm just thinking particularly in game four here, um, it's generally to do with us not being able to kind of consistently get timing in our offense. And that's often due to us not dealing with the physicality. Well, I thought, you know, um, I thought game five was really encouraging and that it was a physical game. And honestly, we were like, we were comfortable again. And I think that's got a lot to do with smart offensive. This is what, he's a really good offensive player. You know, like, I'm going to keep preaching it, man. But like, and it's been commented on a lot. 
But Smart is a natural point guard, and Rosier just isn't quite on his level. That's why Horford was getting those. He was getting the ball on those rolls, and there were a couple of times when Smart had he um, he threw the ball. It wound up going into the stands a couple of times. But they were both really good looks. I think one was to Baines. Horford missed on a dunk too on a, on a lob attempt. Actually, I I don't know if I can credit that as a smart pass, but I think it might have been. Um, that really matters because it turns you know because because basketball like a t- basketball is such an emotional game. The, the 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 shots that stem the that stop the runs are really really important. And having a guy like Smart out there just stops those mistakes from compounding. Um, Smart Horford pick and roll is is a really you're going to get a quality shot. Um, yeah, absolutely. And to have that sort of one-two punch out there for the first time this series, we've just seen it for the first time in CD Garden, and tomorrow we're going to see it for the first time uh, in the Bucks Arena. I think that's huge, and like you're saying, it may well be the turning point to finally a team winning a game on the road during yeah. this series. One thing I noticed uh, during game during games three and four in Milwaukee was the heightened intensity of the Bucks defense. Uh, mm. Like we we clearly struggled to score. Like I sort of likened it in my head to like if you're playing NBA 2K and you like up the difficulty from like All Star to Hall of Fame, right. and suddenly right. it's so much harder to penetrate and score. And it seemed like like that's exactly what the Milwaukee Bucks defense did, and it just seemed so much harder for us to to get a rhythm and and keep possession of the ball and actually penetrate and, and create an opening for our offense. Um, we didn't see that from the Bucks defense in, in game five in our house. I'm worried uh, in terms of your prediction for us to get a win that they're going to they're gonna elevate their defense intensity again and we're going to uh, struggle to score, even with Smart out there running they're, those pick and rolls with they, Horford. They're going to elevate their defensive intensity, Ben, but like another way to frame this is can the Bucks beat us without forcing turnovers like crazy? And I count a lot of their block shots as, as you know, like live ball live ball turnovers, can they beat yeah. us if they don't get out in transition? No. No, they can't. They cannot do it. They cannot out-execute us in the half court. Honestly, all we've got to do is 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 have that. There'll be a period of time where we have to weather that, and there'll be a couple of bad turnovers. But if those turnovers are dead ball turnovers, you know, if those turnovers, um, if those turnovers are slightly less infrequent, I just feel really good about us limiting the bucks, having transition opportunities, and... I don't think we're going to blow them out, but if we get if we're the ones and we start forcing turnovers, and uh, <laughs> we're not a great fast break team, but um, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's way more likely that we blow them out than uh, than they blow us out. I, I think we're better. I I really think we're better. Here's a here's a warmish take for you, Jalen and Jason, the Jays, whatever you want to call them. Uh, my take is that they'll both score 20-plus points each in this game. Ooh. The reason being is we, we had some success with the point guard five-man or point guard four-man pick-and-roll, namely with Smart and Horford in the last game. I think the Bucks defense is going to adjust to that, leaving our wingmen open uh, with opportunities to, to create offense. Typically, in our offense, it's very point guard heavy with those dribble handoffs at the top of the key, usually from the five or four mm-hmm. guy um, to one of the guards. And it doesn't always favor our wings in the offense in, in terms of leaning on them heavily to score. Um, and in the past, when defenses have shown on pick and rolls at the top, it's left our, our wingman open to, to make decisions and, and often score if they're good enough. Um, I do think in this game, both Jays are going to have the opportunity to, to create um, with those extra opportunities, with 
the coverage leaning towards defending the pick and roll, the 1-5 or 1-4 pick and roll. I think Jalen and Jason are going to have the opportunity to win us this game, and that's going to mean both of them scoring 20-plus points or more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... So I'm going to meet you halfways. I okay. think one of them's going to have a 20-plus. I don't know which. One of them will be hot. I don't know which one. See, I think if they're going to shut down our pick and roll like that, then both of them are going to need to score heavily for us to have a chance of winning. Mm. Mm. But we're close. We're so close to knowing exactly. what happens. It's so soon. <laughs> I know. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to uh, tomorrow night being uh, thinking about the Philadelphia 76ers. That's what I'm looking forward to. I'm, yeah, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I'm actually going... I'm almost like... I'm almost campaigning to jinx us, eh? <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> yeah, well, um, hopefully that's something that we can uh, worry about as soon as, as tomorrow night. Um, have you got any warmish takes before we uh, fire up the microwave and uh, heat things up a little bit? No, I think I'm done with the series, eh? Like, <laughs> I, like yeah, honestly, get like, it done. I'm done with it. Like, I, I think we're better. I think it's just time to go out and do it. It's just time to go finish this, finish this crap off. Yeah, like you mentioned a blowout before, and I, I did uh, obviously mention my concerns, maybe from an emotional, like worried fan standpoint, but the uh, the realist in me does agree with the Celtics blowout theory. I think we blow out the Bucks in Milwaukee. We come in, we know everything there is to know about this matchup at this point, and it's just a matter of going out there and executing and exposing them on their home court. Like we, we have gathered enough knowledge and information about the Bucks. We just need to go out there and use it to expose them. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I think. Um, I guess I don't know if I think I see it as a blowout. It's a possibility. Like if we, if we turn them over, you know, if we start to turn them over, then then it's a possibility. Um, I think uh, I think it's going to be tight. I think I I said Rosier hitting a game winner. Well, I guess I got to stick with that. <laughs> I'm going the full. Um, so my score prediction. Yeah. One hundred eight to ninety, Boston over Milwaukee. That's a it's a, a Geno worthy wow, uh, yeah. eighteen point blowout. And it's not like a it's not like a late expanding eighteen, it's like a we got it out to eighteen with sort of eight minutes left in the fourth, you know, like it was a proper blowout. Maybe, yeah. Maybe we got it up to like twenty eight and they go on a late run right, right. you know, against that garbage time. Look, this, ladies and gentlemen, is in the, the very hot takes segment of our of our microwave hot take machine. <laughs> Uh, podcast segment so you know take everything with a grain of salt which some people like to do with their microwave, microwave food. food exactly <laughs> <laughs> <It's> exactly right <laughs> we're writing this analogy to the end people so stick with us um we're gonna reuse it man <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah we've got to heat things back up again for the philly series um, such wood now super hot take i'm doubling down on my tatum dunk on Giannis. i think it breaks oh. the internet it breaks twitter and it breaks reddit uh, there's an immediate timeout on the world's internet bandwidth is 90% consumed by GIFs and memes uh, relating to the end of Giannis's career and um, the launch of uh, one Jason Tatum's as our fans rejoice over an epic moment. I think that Giannis is never the same again and Tatum becomes a top three player within two seasons. I mean... Tell me why I'm wrong. Uh, Tatum... What, what you, Tatum's a top what player within... What? A top three player within two seasons. Wow, that's bold. <laughs> okay. You heard it here first. I'm going to tell... I mean, there's only one reason I can tell you why you're wrong. Uh, dude needs only to one? finish with his left hand. This <laughs> <laughs> uh, is the first time for everything. Yeah, well, you know? And hey, why if not, Oladipo why not had to put it up with his left hand, he might not get his stuff blocked this afternoon, you know? If he hadn't gone yeah. to go with the inside with the right created yet another LeBron James uh, epic playoff moment. Ugh. I mean, that game winner was solid, right? Like, you know, 
Um, call call out Oladipo and his lack of you know ambidextrous finishing, but that was a solid three point swish game winner for LeBron. I tell you what, he stood him up though on the move to get to the paint. Like he turned yeah. him inside out, man. Like I I thought I was watching that like on my phone. You know, like, I don't know if you get this in Australia, but over here our New Zealand interwebs sometimes it goes super pixelated. And yeah. look for all <laughs> yeah. money, like, uh, you know, you, you, you're kind of used to the patterns of the, uh, 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 you could hear the crowd, and I was like, oh, for sure, Oladipo's put that in. Like, he just waxed him. And then, yeah. um, and then, ugh, then, as a fan, I'm like, I was quite torn between that, like, because I like to see the drama, and LeBron hitting that's high drama, right? But I really want him to lose. I really want Bron to lose. Yeah. Yeah, like seeing him with the, the long face um, at the at the podium, at the the post-game press conference. That's, oh, that that's the sort of stuff I thrive on as a Celtics fan, seeing LeBron in, put in situations like that. But um, it's good either way, you know? Like, either it's an underdog story with Oladipo and, and the Pacers coming out with the victory, or it's this hard-felt LeBron putting the team on his back sort of story where he, he carries his team, you know, in this case, at least to the second round. Who knows? Yeah. Um, it's either a classic LeBron story or it's a classic underdog story. You kind of win either way. I have, I have a take in the freezer. Um we pre we we pre cooked it uh, a little while Let's ago. Do it. It's got oh your no, this is a pre take. I, I said LeBron wasn't going to get out of the second round. I think I said that. I think I said that. If I didn't say it, I meant to say it. Um, I'm definitely sticking with that one. I think, uh, and I'm I was you know really hoping to be proven right. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, anyway, that's not that's not my my hot take. My hot take for this. I've only really got one. Um, Go on. Well, obviously, I've already looked ahead to the Philly series, you know. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm not I, trying to jinx this here or anything, Joe. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm just not going to be superstitious. I'm just going to own it. I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not trying for a reverse jinx. I'm just owning it. I think we're better, and it's going to happen, and we're going to be playing the Sixers on Saturday, our time. Uh, so that's Friday their time, right? Um, uh, I think it's Sunday our time. Saturday oh, right. Their time. My bad, my bad, my bad. Um, it's hard sometimes, yeah. I think Ojale is going to be starting again. I think um, the Sixers, the Sixers have better shooting, but um, Ben Simmons and Embiid, well, Ben Simmons presents a pretty similar defensive problem to the one that uh, that that Giannis poses. You know, they're they're very similar in their strengths. Yeah, I feel like. It's like if we were playing the Bucks, but instead of Thon Maker, they had like Hakeem Olajuwon instead, yeah, yeah. along with Giannis. You know, it's like that. That's a crazy uh, and very powerful one-two punch they've got there, which I'm I'm not looking forward to. Well, I know what you mean. Like they're, they're going to be very difficult to deal with, but I'm looking forward to it. I am a hundred percent looking forward to it as a basketball fan. I think it's great. I think we're playing with house money, and totally and, yes. And I do not think it's a sure thing at all that the Sixers win. I think. Um, I think they're going to have to beat us because um, we're not going to beat ourselves. We are not going to beat ourselves. But anyway, um, yeah, that's probably it for me and my, and my uh, takes of varying temperature. Yeah. All right. That's awesome. Thank you, Joe, for your, as always, very uh, spicy takes and your precise analysis. Uh, very much looking forward to catching the game first thing tomorrow morning if you're in our time zone or later tonight if you're in the States or somewhere close by. That'll just about do it for us here at the Boston Celtics Reddit podcast. Good luck to everybody. Try and stay relaxed. And we'll see you guys at some point shortly after the game for our analysis. Till then, enjoy it. Peace. Peace.